0: Welcome to An Abiding Thought. Now, as you're watching this, uh, we have just recently celebrated what is known as Reformation Sunday, which on this particular year, it actually fell on Sunday, and that is October 31st, when we celebrate Martin Luther nailing 95 points of contention or points of debate on the church door at Wittenberg, really calling for discussion and debate On these particular matters and as history would uh, have it this became the beginning of what became the Protestant Reformation Uh, that's why it's called Reformation Sunday and so what I want to do is just kind of review really three main things that you really need to that I think Uh, or three gems, three precious gems that we have gained from the Reformation that it's easy to overlook. Now, before I do that, ordinarily, when you think in terms of the uh, Protestant Reformation, well, first, let me just back up. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't even understand where the term Protestant comes from and what delineates or distinguishes us from Roman Catholics. So when we're talking about the Protestant Reformation, Protestant, the root word there being protest. So it was a protest against the medieval Catholic Church because of a number of theological issues, Uh, primarily among them, what does it mean to have a right standing before God or how does one obtain a right standing before God? So there are a number of things that it's very easy for us to look on the surface and say, we're not Roman Catholic, and therefore, in fact, I even have had people push back on our Nicene Creed when it speaks of one holy, and Catholic, or one holy Catholic and apostolic church, because they push back against that word Catholic. And I wish we knew more, uh, one, about what it means to be Protestant, and two, the very terms that we use. Uh, Roman Catholicism, big C, Catholicism, or Catholic, is a particular strand of Christian Christianity. Catholicism itself, because the word Catholic simply means universal, and we we do have the asterisk in our bulletin for. Um, for the Nicene Creed, so when we say one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church," what we mean is we believe that there 's only one body of Christ which is universal from every tribe, tongue, and nation that ascribes to the doctrines of the apostle that 's what of the apostles that 's what we mean by holy catholic uh, or uh, a, c- c- Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, but in any event. Um, so there there are some things that we look at associated with Catholicism, and unfortunately we look at the superficial surface things and think that's what separates us. And we, not long ago we talked about confession, how a lot of Protestants are averse to the idea of confessing their sins to an individual because they associate that with Roman Catholicism. And as I pointed out at the time, uh, confession and... Um, uh, confession and absolution are not unique to Roman Catholicism, but there's really a biblical base for it if we understand it, what it means, what it doesn't mean, etc. But certainly that was the least of the problems with the Roman Catholic Church at the time. So there are a number of things. We can talk about the solas or the slogans that define um, the early years of protests because they were protesting the teachings of the Catholic Church, and so there were five solas that and we call them solas because each of them focus on singularity and it was an effort early on to say what it is they had contentions with within the the catholic church so we talk about sola fide that man is justified before god on the basis of faith alone sola gratia uh, we are justified on the basis of grace alone And what's given in that divine grace is even the gift of faith. So sola gratia, sola fide, uh, sola scriptura, scripture alone, uh, sola Christus, uh, according to the work of Christ alone, and solo deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. So the the solas have become defining, at least on a a broad sense of what it means to be Protestant. But I want to look at three gems in particular that are fleshed out to whatever degree in some of the other teachings that came out of the Reformation. And certainly these are pillars of the thinking of our early Protestant forefathers. The first one is the authority of Scripture. And this, is, this goes back to the emphasis in the solas on sola scriptura, that Christian faith is according to the Scriptures alone. Now that's what sola scriptura basically taught and it doesn't mean that there's no place for other um, writings but the basis of what we believe is grounded in scripture alone so the reason for sola scriptura is because the uh, our protestant forefathers understood that the scriptures were was god god's inerrant word given to his people and so the emphasis of the authority of scripture even though um, when they said alone with sola scriptura, the Roman Catholics also believed that the scriptures were the word of God, but they didn't believe that the scriptures were the authoritative word of God. So therefore, the tradition of the church oftentimes took precedence over what was explicitly expressed in scripture. One of the things that gave... uh, early momentum to the Protestant Reformation was the uh, the invention of the movable printing press. And that resulted in two things that were very helpful. Number one, uh, the people, uh, the the scriptures were actually made available. So they were able to print scriptures, printing of the Bibles. You had the early uh, 16th century versions of the, the Bibles, because today most of us will have two or three Bibles in our home or we'll have a phone uh, the, the bible downloaded on our phone so we have easy access to the scriptures well at the time of the reformation there wasn't easy access to the scriptures the average christian household probably did not have a bible so you had the, the invention of the movable printing press which allowed for a broader publication of the scriptures and then the second thing in relation to that was translating the scriptures into the language, the common language of the people. At the time, the scriptures were available primarily in their uh, original languages, or Latin. And so the scriptures, the preachers, and this was another thing that, that Luther really railed against, the fact that in the average Christian service in a Roman Catholic church, there was very little exposition of Scripture. So, therefore, the authority of or the uh, the uh, importance of tradition was being talked about and preached in place of what God had said in his word, so one of the things that is a gem of the Reformation is a return to the authority of scripture, understanding that we may have different secondary uh, uh, convictions or differences on secondary issues relative to various aspects of the faith, but we believe first and foremost that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant word of God, and it becomes the primary basis for faith and practice. So the authority of Scripture goes along with the centrality of Scripture, knowing that the Bible trumps or tops whatever it is that we may think or believe. Uh, so the authority of Scripture was something that was uh, captured at the time of the Reformation. It was very helpful uh, over the years, uh, even with the framing of the various confessions and catechisms. What the, purpose of the, the, or the purpose of the catechisms and confessions was, was an effort to articulate what we believe the scriptures to teach. So it wasn't in it, it wasn't in competition with the scripture, but but really the best confessional statements begin with things most surely believed by us to be taught by the Holy Scriptures. So the authority and centrality of scriptures is a pillar and it is it is a gem that we owe a great deal to our Protestant forefathers in going back to the, uh, the, what the Scriptures actually said. It was possible for a person to be a member of the Catholic Church at that time and not even know uh, Bible verses, not even have access to the Scriptures, and go to worship service and not have the Scriptures expounded. So that's one thing. The second thing, and this closely closely related to this, they not only uh, recovered the authority of Scripture— but also the Christocentric theme of the Scriptures. And by this, what I mean is they understood that the Bible, as Jesus says in John's Gospel, uh, when he talks to the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you search the Scriptures thinking that in them you have eternal life, but the Scriptures testify of me. One of the things that Luther does in his study of the Psalms is see the correlation between what Paul's what David says in Psalms thirty two about blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven and to whom sins or iniquity are not imputed, he saw that connection to what where where Paul quotes that in Romans four. So he began to understand that the scriptures, all of the scriptures, as Luke says in Luke 24, or as he records, Jesus is saying to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, as well as to the others that were gathered in the upper room, Jesus, beginning with Moses and the prophets, began to show how all of these things spoke of him. So one of the things that the reformers did was to go back through the scriptures and see them, through a Christocentric lens. You hear me oftentimes refer to the meta narrative that the very purpose of God giving us revealed scriptures is to reveal to us the person and work of his son as the means of our total salvation. So it's really with, um, when it's done well, and we see this with some of the 16th century uh, English Puritans or uh, even Luther and Calvin. What we see is this rich interpretation of the scriptures, even Old Testament scriptures, and seeing how it is it is connected to the person and work of Christ. So we owe a debt of gratitude to the reformers for reminding us that the scriptures is are not just loosely gathered uh, texts, ancient texts that give you moral instructions. It's not just a reiteration of the law, but the purpose of the scriptures themselves is to present to us in type and shadow, in a progressive manner, the person and work of Jesus Christ as the only savior for fallen humanity. Someone once said that Genesis 3.15 Uh, where God speaks to the serpent and promises that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, etc. They say that the rest of the Bible is really unfolding that truth. And that really is what the scriptures are about. Uh, Notice in Psalms 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that everything we need to know about God is made known to us, in the created order. So natural revelation, and hold in mind that humans are a part of natural revelation. So we reveal certain aspects of the attributes of God as well as of the rest of the created order, that he is wise, that he is good, that he is powerful. All of these things are revealed. But scriptures and Christ are considered special revelation and they reveal to us what creation doesn't creation reveals to us there's in in essence if you look at the philosophers and the various religions even without the knowledge of christ creation reveals to us moral standards it reveals to us a creator but what special revelation reveals to us is his grace and christ is the epitome of special revelation so therefore to the the whole purpose of scripture which tells us about christ or that is the purpose of scripture not just to tell us what to do but it opens up to a greater degree what we are to do but what scriptures also reveal to us is what christ has done so really the reformers help us in regaining a Christocentric understanding of the scriptures that God has not given us the Bible just to give us helpful hints on living and how to have a happy life and how to be a fulfilled person the ultimate purpose of scripture is to reveal the person and work of Christ which brings us to a third thing that we are indebted to our Protestant forefathers for and that is regaining an understanding of the sufficiency and I would say slash efficacy of the work of Christ. Sufficient in that there is nothing else that is needed other than what Christ has done for our salvation and efficacious because what he has done has guaranteed its completion. In uh, John chapter 6 Jesus beginning in verse 38 and then really works through towards the end but in verses 38 and 39 and 40 he he gives a series of the will of the father he says he has come into the world to do the will of him who sent him and then he says the will of him who sent him is to save everyone that 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 God has given to him and that none of them should be lost and then the will of the father is for us to believe what Christ has done. One of the problems at the time of the reformation and this is part of what Luther was pushing against is that remember he was a monk and he was he was sequestered in a monastery and he was doing everything that he thought was required by the law to be able to to receive a right standing before God. But it was never enough. And he just felt in his conscience as he was weighed down by what the law said and what it required. And he tried to, to to meet all of the standards of the Catholic Church that had been established at the time. And as he read and read of the law, and he was more and more sensitive in his conscience, he realized how far away he was from what God actually required. And then the whole idea of infused versus imputed righteousness, and here's what I mean by infused. Infused means to put within one. So if the righteousness that gives us a right standing before God is righteousness that is put into us, then we have to stand before God on the basis of our own righteousness but then he understood imputation and imputation means righteousness is credited to us so the whole idea of of simul at peccator being at the same time just because righteousness has been imputed to us and to be sinners because we are not inherently righteous was what is what saved the day for Luther. And so when we speak of the sufficiency and the efficacy of the work of Christ, by virtue of our faith in him, what we are saying is that we, and this is one of the things that was helpfully uh, or, or was certainly recovered at the time of the Reformation, that we would be able to stand boldly recognizing that we have no righteousness of our own But everything that God has required of us in his holy law has been met in the crucifixion, I mean, in the righteous living of his son. And everything that our sins deserve has been received in the crucifixion of Christ. So the sufficiency of of, of the work of Christ means there's nothing else we need to do in order to have a right standing before God. Now, hold in mind, we are connected to a body. Therefore, we are challenged. We are always called to repentance. The the Christian life is a lifetime of repentance. But what gives us a right standing before the, uh, the Father is the finished work of Christ. And that's sufficient, not only for now, but until the Day of Judgment. But also we know that is efficacious. It doesn't always feel like we are saved. We don't always act like or think like we are seated at the right hand of the Father. We don't always act like we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. But what he has done is enough. And what he has done has fully satisfied both the demands of the law and the rep- retributions of divine wrath. So therefore, as Paul says in Colossians, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality. Those are three things that were recovered at the time of the Reformation. They are flesh, flushed out, or fleshed out in various works that came out of that period. These are the cornerstones or the pillars of of much of the writings that came from our Protestant forefathers. There's certainly, um, there's certainly uh, uh, pillars in our confessions and creeds that came out of it, but these are the great things, the authority of God's Word. The Bible is God's holy Word, and it is authoritative for faith and practice the Christocentric theme of the scriptures, the Bible is first and foremost about what God has promised and delivered in the person of his son and the sufficiency and the efficacy of the finished work of Christ. I hope that's helpful and that's what it means to be Protestant. That's what it's really at the heart of the Protestant Reformation, these three things. And I hope as we think about them and pray on them, that we don't lose sight of these cherished gems in our day. God bless you.